certainly wish a good evening and God's blessing upon each of you. I do consider it to be a, a blessing to be here. And I've been blessed with my introduction to this congregation. I always appreciate it <clears throat> when there's a, a prayer service prior to a revival meeting and when it's well represented. I was blessed to see many of you there tonight. I have some pretty simple, straightforward beliefs. And one of them is, is that if you're going to get a blessing from God this week, a lot of it is going to depend upon your prayers. I have some things I need to do, but that is probably something you're going to need to do if, if you would expect a real blessing from God. So I appreciate your prayers on my behalf. I occasionally wind up somewhere where I know no one. It's happened to me a couple times. I'm glad that's not true here, although I would have to say that most of you I don't know. And maybe we can change a little of that. I'm not very good with names, so I probably won't leave here knowing everyone's name, but I'll try to learn a few more than I know now. Uh, don't want to spend a lot of time on this next point, but I know that you planned originally to start your meetings on Monday night, and this is Wednesday night. I apologize for that. I'm not sure what happened. If I had a desire concerning that, I would say I wish you could get as blessed in five days as you normally would in seven, although I'm a, I'm a firm believer in cause and effect, sowing and reaping, so it's a little hard to to put the same effort into five as you put into seven, but I wish you'd be blessed anyway, in spite of what happened. Hope you can forgive that. And any uh, prayers you would like to uh, give on the behalf of my family, and some of you have already done some of that, I appreciate it because uh, they're very busy and it's turning into a little more than two-week marathon with the exception of last night. Uh, my wife picked me up to the airport last evening and I'd already been going for about eight, nine days. And so it's gonna be a little over two weeks, but uh, if you will support them in prayer, I'll appreciate it. I've been uh, preaching revival series for a number of years now I don't know how many, and it doesn't really matter. I suppose it's going to soon be 30 years. But I don't, uh, I don't give as many invitations as I used to. Uh, I'm not always sure that a quick response is what really drawing to, uh, a quick public response is what drawing close to God is all about. Um, and I've become more and more to see over the years that growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is a long-term thing. And if by God's grace we can strengthen your faith, affirm some truths, and if God wants to speak to you, get you through a crisis point in something in your life, that's fine too. But... Um, yeah, if, if the word of God can come into your hearts as gentle rain, that's fine with me. Uh, I, do, what, I said that, though, to say this. If you really feel in your Christian experience 
that you need to pray with someone or talk with someone. I'm sure there are people here that are willing to do that, and you just look them up. And if you want to talk with me or pray with me, I certainly will be willing to do that. And we probably will give time somewhere along the line a couple times to uh, allow you to give public expression or something if you wish. Uh, the, the brethren here had asked me about children's meetings, and I didn't come prepared for tonight, but I will try to have one tomorrow night, and then we'll see from there how it goes, okay? I don't know as I should do a lot of talking about myself. Sometimes people have questions. I'll just give a few brief details. You may hear some examples and illustrations from Guatemala. My family and I lived there for 17 years, and I still currently go about five, six times a year. And so a lot of life's happenings for me are still connected with that country. And uh, that's, if, if you hear some Latin illustrations, that's why. Um, my wife and I have six children, 10 grandchildren, and I work in the churches of the Maryland part of Cumberland Valley Church, Cumberland Valley Mennonite Church, which is in Hagerstown, Maryland. And I found out today that that's about four and a half hours, not counting stops, from the Northland down this way. All right, let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we again come and we have a desire in our hearts for God to do what only God can do. And we look to you with needy hearts. We look to you with a realization that as men, as men and women, we're frail, we're needy, we need you real bad. We need you to revive things in our hearts that we have surely believed. We need you to draw us closer to yourself. We need you to speak to us and open our understanding and I pray, O oh God, that you'll do that, that in your grace and mercy you will open our minds and our hearts, you'll speak to us, and that any effort of uh, the enemy of our souls, any resistance in our flesh, any allurement of this world, you will help us to rise above that by your grace. And we will praise you, Lord, for the blessing we get out of that. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As sort of a beginning message, foundation message, I would like to share on a phrase from the scripture from Colossians, and ye are complete in him. I'm a, uh, as I said, I, I have some pretty simple, straightforward convictions. And as A.W. Tozer once said, you know, blood and fire. I believe that the blood of Jesus and the fire of the Holy Spirit whom he gives to those who believe in him is adequate for every spiritual and moral need that mankind has. And in our modern world, especially in the United States of America, who feel we're so prepared and apt and skilled, we, we feel like there has to be some sort of mechanism for every problem that comes along. And there's a lot of methods and methodologies and 
other cisterns out there for men and women's needs. But I really believe that when it comes to spiritual needs, moral needs, the life that is in Jesus Christ, well, I'll say it this way, and I almost hate to use this word because it's been misused, but I believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who can truly give holistic well-being to mankind, body, soul, and spirit. It's the only one who can do it. So that's the message tonight, and I'd like to start with 1 John chapter 5. The great essential question for any human being can be boiled down to this. Are you in Jesus Christ or are you not in Jesus Christ? Or we could say it another way, do you have Jesus as Savior or do you not? Your whole future depends on that, your current well-being depends on that, and definitely your eternal future depends on that. Really, if you have Jesus Christ, you have what you absolutely need. And if you don't have him, you're currently in a hopeless situation. 1 John chapter 5, some of my favorite verses in the Bible, verse 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And I can appreciate the fact tonight that you're a conservative Anabaptist believer. But be that as it may, as such, it still is reduced to a basic question. Do you have the eternal life that comes only through Jesus Christ? If you have him, you have life. And if you don't, you don't have life. If you have him, you're saved. If you don't have him, you're lost. And that's the most essential basic question of all others because it makes all the difference when someday you face your maker, which we're all going to do. And God says, well done, enter or depart from me ye workers of iniquity. It's all going to come down to that. And the ones who are going to be told well done is not the ones who, by some special raising or something, always did something perfect. <laughs> you know, because we're not perfect individuals. But rather, those who were found in Christ and those who weren't. And tonight we could ask the question, why is it this way and how does it flesh out? I trust you would identify tonight with the fact that we are radical believers. Uh, the, most of the religious people in the United States of America tonight do not believe what we believe about Jesus Christ. They do not believe what we say. I hope you say it, that there is no other way to be right with God except through Jesus Christ. There is no other name given among men, under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I believe that tonight. I hope you believe that tonight. And that puts us in a very select 
exclusive group of people. Because most people would like to say, well, maybe those who believe in Muhammad will make it too. Maybe the Hindu meditators will make it too. Maybe, you know, somehow other roads lead to God. I don't believe that tonight. I believe that the only way to be right with God is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I believe, I don't know whether they were words of power. I think they were. I think they were gracious words, and I think they were powerful words, and that they were right words, words of truth, when Jesus said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Jesus Christ are found all the spiritual and moral dynamics needed for a spirit-filled, overcoming Christian life. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2. I wonder tonight, do you feel whole? Do you feel complete? Do you feel satisfied? Well, like Mr. Spafford wrote in his hymn, it is well with my soul. Do you feel that kind of peace and assurance? And of course, he was in the middle of a tragedy in his life, and yet he could say that. Colossians chapter 2, starting with verse 3. And this is speaking of Christ, which is the two words at the end of verse 2. Of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ as ye have Therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Jesus Christ, in him, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now why is this the case? Jesus, the Son of God, he was engendered by the Holy Spirit, and in his deity, he's the I Am, he always existed with God, there is no beginning nor ending to his deity. He is God, very God. And I believe he brought into his earthly existence that purity of heart and, and will to, to be true to his Godhead that he was part of. And yet he entered into the seed of Abraham and became, as well as the Son of God, the Son of Man. And it's a mystery somehow, a bit, how that works. How he was able to set aside enough of his 
prerogatives, his nature as a divine being, that he could be tempted, that he could be limited in his presence and in his activities and, and experience things like hunger and weariness and, and indeed temptation. Our brother read there how he was tempted in the wilderness. The Bible makes clear that deity can't be tempted, but the Son of Man could be tempted, and he was. And he was not only de- he was not only tempted, but he was dependent. And what I mean by that is, is that he looked to his heavenly Father for strength. He looked to his heavenly Father for guidance. Jesus didn't say, I always know exactly what to do. Jesus said, I do the things the Father tells me to do. I speak the words that my Father gives me to speak. I do always the will of my Father. And You don't need to read the Bible very much to see how much Jesus prayed. And he sought the Father, and and he wanted to do the will of his Father. And so I'm saying that Jesus, in his manhood, somehow disrobed himself of divine wisdom and understanding enough that he needed to depend upon his Father and seek his heavenly Father so that he would get it right. The night before he chose the 12 disciples, the Bible tells us that he prayed all night long. And I don't believe Jesus prayed all night long just to make a social statement or something. I believe he prayed all night long because he wanted God to give him specific guidance in choosing four, uh, pardon me, 12 men that would be his apostles. And so this, this son of man, though he had the beauty of character that came from his divinity as man, Depended upon his father, he had a moral choice to make every day to do the right thing, and he did it perfectly. He never sinned. He never went against the will of his father. He lived a sinless life. You're well acquainted with the passage in Philippians, but I think it would be worth it to read again. The attitude of Jesus as a man in response to his father. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of his servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And because of that obedience, Jesus broke the curse the power of fallen humanity who by nature in their fallen state is rebellious and selfish and self-seeking. And and Jesus won that victory. When Jesus said at the end of his life there on the cross, it is finished. 
Of course it referred to the sacrifice being given and all that, but it also referred to the fact that the victory for the human race was won. There was a man who died who had absolutely subjected himself to the will of the Heavenly Father. For the first time and the only time that had ever happened in the human race. And because that was true, he was able to make a perfect sacrifice for sin. But also because it was true, he was able to bring the, the nature of the divine into human beings. Through Jesus Christ now and the Holy Spirit whom he gives uh, you and I can be partakers of the divine nature. <clears throat> and uh, Romans, and I, I'm not taking you there tonight to go through that, but Romans speaks very clearly about how sin and death and all that came through the first Adam and life and so forth came through the second Adam. And, you know, one man who was without sin chose to sin and brought death the second man who did not sin chose death to bring life. And God looks at that and he says, make a choice. You're going to stay true to the first Adam or confess the second one and be free. So Jesus broke that rebellion and the resulting estrangement with God and brought into the human family the possibility of God-likeness, Christ-likeness. And really this, this process began, God and his desire and his plan to bring back restoration and, and a fellowship with man, uh, one of the first big steps in that was through Abraham. Abraham was not like Jesus Christ. He did not lead a sinless life. He was not perfect. He was not one who always did the will of the Father. We know that, and we even see some of the weaknesses and sins and mistakes that Abraham made. But one thing that Abraham had that God could use mightily was his faith. Abraham was a man who took God at his word. And because he took God at his word, God in his sovereign will determined that on the basis of his faith, he could promise to the human race blessing a blessing upon all the nations that would come through the seed of Abraham. And so we started with Abraham, a family line, that because of his faith, God could bring spiritual blessing upon the human family. And then later in that same family line, we had David, and we sure know that David was not a perfect man. I mean, he did some terrible sins in his life, but one thing that David did have he had a heart of love for the Heavenly Father, such a man of worship and honor to his Heavenly Father, except for those few times when he made some very serious mistakes. But in the general sense of the word, <coughs> in his kingship, he was a king, an earthly king, who really worshiped and honored God. And God promised to him that on the throne of David, there would be a royal seed that would reign forever. And so this development went on. So I want you to see this evening 
I believe this is really important, that the blessing of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the dynamics that should be real in your life and mine is through Jesus Christ, not apart from him. I remember so much, this happened many years ago, but I remember on, a, I think it was a pan, along the Pan American Highway in Guatemala City, I was witnessing to this lady who I didn't know, but you know, I was talking to her about the things of God, and, and she said that she was a Christian, and she made this comment to me. She said, I love the whole Trinity, you know, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. She said, I think I like the Holy Spirit the best. And I think she was a charismatic type person, but uh, I got that impression anyway. But the comment really caught my attention. I think I like the Holy Spirit the best. Well, if you've read your New Testament carefully, you will see that the Holy Spirit does not promote himself. He promotes the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot, a lot of evangelical believers see the Holy Spirit as one to be sought apart from Jesus Christ. You, you seek for this special anointing or baptism or gift of tongues or second worker of grace or something special that is supposed to come to you by the Spirit of God that you didn't get when you named Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and chose him. I'd like, you th I'd like to show you from Scripture tonight that that's absolutely a false foundation to build upon. And it's not because I'm trying to get you away from seeking the blessing of the Holy Spirit, but you need to know that ye are complete in him, Jesus Christ. And that's the point of departure. You want more of the Spirit? You need more of Jesus. And then you get more of the Spirit, he'll give you more of Jesus, and you can grow on that. But it has to start with Jesus Christ, because it was through Jesus Christ that we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Turn now to Galatians chapter 3. Remember what I said about Abraham and David, and we won't be looking very much more at David, but notice how the blessing that God promised to Abraham was the blessing of the Holy Spirit that came through Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, starting to read with verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would testify, pardon me, would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many, well, it gives some intermittent thoughts there. Maybe we'll skip down to verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Now notice carefully the wording through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed to a man, disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. 
and to thy seed, which is Christ. And the final verse of the, that chapter, if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now let's go to Acts, where Jesus was going to ascend to the Father and he instructs his apostles with information about what we find here in Galatians. Acts 1, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Verse 8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the othermost part of the earth. And they were up there in the upper room, obeying Jesus' words, praying, waiting. The day of Pentecost came, and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. <coughs> and then Jesus, pardon me, Peter gets up and preaches the first evangelical message. And I want you to know with a little carefulness there some things that Peter said because it's essential to what uh, the, the principles that I'm trying to share here. And verse, uh, in chapter 2, here his message, verse 32, he's preaching about Jesus and he says, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. And if you underline some things in your Bible and don't have this underlined, you should. <laughs> he says, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. What that simple English means is, is that Peter was saying, you see all this that God's pouring out upon the church? It's because Jesus Christ has been exalted to the right hand of God. And God gave him the gift of the Holy Ghost for the church. And that's what he poured out here today. Jesus did this. Jesus went to the Father. And his premium, if you want to say it that way, for his work on Calvary is, is that the Father gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon the church. And he goes on with the rest of his message, and they're pricked in their hearts, they're convicted, and they say, men and brethren, what should we do? And this is what Peter says, verse 38, <coughs> excuse me, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So I understand those verses correctly. That promise is still valid right down to tonight, right here. That those who repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus, this blessing that God had promised Abraham that it would come through his seed. And Galatians makes clear it's one seed. It's Jesus Christ is that seed who because of his faithful obedience and sacrifice, God gave him what, what the scripture calls the promise of the father. 
God gave him the Holy Spirit to give to the church. And so tonight, there's tremendous vitality in the life of Jesus. You think about it. Would you be satisfied with the life of Jesus literally in you? I mean, the man never sinned. He always did the right thing. He never messed up. I don't think Jesus was ever depressed. I don't think Jesus was ever out of sync with God, that he didn't have the joy, even when he, even when he was pressed out of measure, so to speak, there in the garden, yet his relationship with God was real and intact. I don't think Jesus ever lacked faith. I don't believe Jesus Christ ever lost his temper. I don't believe Jesus Christ ever succumbed to lust. He lived in victory. Would you, would you run with that? Would that be good enough for you? Jesus said some powerful things in the scripture. If you remember in John 7, he made this declaration right there in the midst of the synagogue. He said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Now, now you think of this thread we're going through. Where do we get the Holy Spirit? It's through the blessing of Jesus Christ, right? So Jesus, in, in my thinking, what he's saying is, if, are, if you have a feeling of emptiness, if you have a need in your life that you're not able to find the answers to or rise up and overcome, if you have something that's lacking, something that's hurting, something that's not getting filled, you come to me and drink. And he said, as the scripture has said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And then he said, and this spake he of the Spirit, which had not yet been poured out, which had not yet been received. How did Jesus say you get it? You know, if there's that lack, if there's that thirst, he didn't say go, uh, go pray for two weeks in fasting and prayer that you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's not what he said. He said, you come to me and drink. And when you come to me and drink, from your inside will flow living water. And that living water will be the Holy Spirit of God. That's what he said. And we need it tonight. Because I know I've been here way too many times. And you probably, if you're honest, have been there sometimes too. A Romans 7 situation where, and I know for a lot of believers, the correct theology here is that Christians don't ever live in Romans 7. Well, I want to ask you, did you ever have a moment when something you knew you should have done, you didn't get done? And did you ever have a moment when something you knew you shouldn't have done, you did anyway? Did that ever happen to you? Well, if you think it should never happen to somebody, you better throw this preacher out because it's happened to me. And I think if you'd give me five minutes after the service, I could establish that it's happened to you. 
by asking you a few questions. Uh, things that we know we should have got done, sometimes it might be as simple as reading our Bible as much as we should or going to visit somebody we should have visited, but sometimes we fall short of doing the things we know we should do, and sometimes we yield to things that we know we shouldn't have yielded to. And so in, in Romans seven eighteen it says, how to perform that I would, I know not, something like that. The, 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 in, the thing that was turmoil in, in Paul's heart was, how do I accomplish the highest standard of Jesus Christ in my life? How do I get it done? And in verse 25, there at the end of that chapter, it says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer of how to perform that I would, the good that I would, the answer to that is through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer that's found in Romans 8, though it talks a lot about the Spirit of God and the Spirit-filled life and occupying ourselves in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and being guided by the Spirit, all those wonderful things that Romans 8 says about the Spirit-filled life is because of Romans seven twenty five, where it says, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's where it's at. So when we're thirsty, we seek Jesus. When we have a need, we ask through Jesus Christ. Some powerful verses in John 14. I'm sure you've seen these verses many times, but... In light of this subject, I'd just like to remind you of them again. John 14, verse 11 <coughs> to 15. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now look at this verse next. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. What powerful verses. I'll just say this as we go on a little bit here yet. The core there is, though, that when the Bible speaks about asking in Jesus' name, it doesn't mean merely lisping the words like a little magic phrase in Jesus' name. It means that I am in him and he is in me. And when I ask in his name, it's like you asking in your boss's name. If you work for a boss, let's just say he's a builder. And he sends you to the lumber yard to buy $40,000 worth of building materials. And you say, I don't have $40,000 in my pocket. He says, so what? You're not buying them for you. You're buying them for me. You go to the lumber yard and pick it up. Now, you can go there, and as long as you're within his desires, you can spend every dime he wants spent. And the building supply store will hand it over. And all you got to do is follow orders. It'll get paid by the boss. And you've got no worries. But you know full well that asking what serve you will has to be within his desires. As soon as you step outside of that and order a whole 
50 square shingles for your own house that wasn't authorized, all of a sudden the, the promise don't count anymore. Now, it's the, now the bill's on you. Does that little simple illustration make any sense? When we ask in Jesus' name, it means within his character, within his will, within what his program's all about. Then you can ask whatsoever you will. But you get on a selfish track, a track that's outside of what Jesus is interested in, and you on your own, don't matter how much asking you do. You ask in Jesus' name, you're asking according to his will. And you know something of his character, and you're involved in his program. You see, when we go to God and ask for power, we dare not ask for power outside of him. Just like you go to the grocery store and buy sugar, and then you leave the grocery store and take no interest in it, you got what you wanted. It don't work that way in God's program. You come and yield to what he wants, and you ask within his will, and then you don't just get power, you get him. You get him as power. And that's different than getting power to do what you want to do. So we ask. We ask because we're involved in Jesus Christ, because we're his disciples. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it before. I don't have a problem if you stand at an invitation this week. If you're not a Christian, you want to become a Christian, and you want to show that by standing to your feet. I don't, I don't care if you go to your dad or your mom or another Christian here and say, I want to become a Christian. But I do want to tell you that the Bible never told us that's what we need to do. You know that. The Bible never said you need to fill out a decision card or respond to revival meetings. What the Bible says is that we need to become his disciples. Go into all the world, and the literal meaning of the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of all people groups. You, you want to walk with Jesus, you want to abide in Jesus, you want to be in him. You must become a disciple of Jesus Christ. He said, my sheep know my voice. You know why? Because they're listening. They're following. And so the call to lost people is to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yes, we believe on him. We confess him. But that faith that believes and confesses is a faith that makes us a follower uh, someone who yokes with him, who walks with him. First John 2, 6 says that if we say we abide in him, we ought to walk even as he walked. Let's turn to Luke 14. I'll close here, but I'll just read a few verses here yet as we finish up. Luke 14 Verse 26, 27, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my, be my disciple. And, what, and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, so likewise... Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. The surrender, the commitment, the knowing 
of Jesus Christ as part of discipleship, knowing him. And uh, I would like to say tonight to close this message that the closer, the more fully that as a disciple you follow Jesus Christ, the more your character and nature will be like him. And the more that you have a character and nature like Jesus Christ, the greater power and joy and blessing you'll experience as a Christian. And tonight, if your life is deficient, if you're somewhat lame and falling down as a child of God, I would like to recommend Jesus Christ as the answer to that. I really believe that's where it's at. And uh, in my younger days, I used to really emphasize the power of the Holy Spirit. And I still think it's important emphasis. The fire in the bones, the, the love for Jesus, the desire to do the right thing. But as I grew older, I began to realize that it needs to then work out in a character likeness. There needs to be a holy lifestyle that gets like Jesus to go along with that. And as those two things work together, the inward drive and the outward discipline of being like Jesus Christ, then uh, a, such a Christian can experience a much deeper and fuller expression of the Holy Spirit than when he first begun. I believe a, a Christian can be, should be, spirit-filled right from the get-go. 12 years old, that's fine. 12-year-old can be filled with the Spirit, but their capacity for it is not near what it can be if they go on and study the Lord Jesus Christ, follow him, and develop in faith and character in learning to know of him. And I know, I know full well that none of us will get in this life to the perfection that Jesus obtained. Even the Apostle Paul, you know what he said. He said, I don't claim to be perfect. I don't claim to have obtained. But he said, I'm pressing. I'm still pressing to get it. And I believe that Paul got close enough to it that you can see in his life the power that was there. Uh, how about you and I? I'm afraid sometimes with me, I'm following afar off. There's so many things that can take our focus away from Jesus Christ. And you know, even our religion can. And, and I'm, not, I'm not making fun of our practice and faith, but even our focus on details of practice sometimes can take our attention away from that source of life, which is Jesus Christ. And I hope we can, if the Lord tarries, we can build some on this message with some other practical things. But I, I would feel blessed if I could go away from here this week with you strengthened in your faith. I, I'm sure just in a group this size, there are people who here who are right now wishing you had more power and grace for specific areas in your life. And maybe you've recently bought a set of CDs or downloaded something 
of a blog site off of the internet or something that you're hoping can give you more strength, I would recommend the Lord Jesus Christ and the power that comes through his life. Um, Norvin, would you have a, a song we could sing? I forget. There you are. Would you have a song we could sing here to, at the closing and then I will uh, lead us in dismissal? I'm sure you all know what Christian means, right? Like Jesus. <laughs> you may stand and uh, let's do the Lord's Prayer together. I appreciate the emphasis tonight on the words of Jesus. And this is Jesus praying. Isn't that amazing? So we can pray a prayer of Jesus, uh, which is our Father who art in heaven. Let's do that together to close. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.